We welcome you to Bible class this morning as we continue our study of Romans, and we welcome our listening audience from KFUO. Today we're going to start in, well, let me make this announcement first. Next Sunday is the last Sunday of Romans, and then we're going to take a break for the summer. The pastors are going to be teaching a class here that will be on KFUO on the Gospel of Luke, okay? And it will also be uh, uh, looking at it a little more in-depth, okay? So that will start on Memorial Day weekend, the 30th, the 30th. But today we're going to start back in Romans 9 where we left off, and uh the focus is back to what it was at the first of chapter 9. It, it, it never really departed, but the question of chapter 9 is, has the word of God failed? Now, Paul at the beginning of chapter 9, that is when he uh, made the, the statement that he would be accursed if God would save the rest of the Jews. This uh, section in chapter 10 begins much that way, but before we get there, um, we deal with these verses of chapter 9 that really are an introduction to chapter 10. Okay, and so um, we will start at verse 30. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. All right, so. The Gentiles were not pursuing righteousness. The nations, other than the Jews, were not trying to attain a righteousness from God. They worshipped other gods. But when the gospel message came, when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, then the disciples were sent forth, and the Apostle Paul was sent forth with the gospel, and he was charged with bring it, bringing it to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not pursuing it, but the gospel message came to them. Why did the gospel message come to them? Because the Jews rejected. Now, not all Jews, but basically the nation rejected Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a new concept. If we read the Old Testament, 
especially in Isaiah, we come across a number of passages that clearly say that the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. This is not a new concept. This had been prophesied before. And so, but the Jews didn't want to hear about it. They were the chosen people, and they were the ones God was going to deal with. However, when the gospel came, they rejected it. So the Gentiles were not pursuing this, but they attained righteousness by faith. Because when they heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul, that gospel was clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But it's saying here that Israel pursued a righteousness in the law. The Greek actually said who pursued a law righteousness, not that would lead to righteousness, but a law righteousness. That is, they pursued it by the keeping of the law. Now, that's the basis then of what Paul's going to talk about in chapter 10. And so he asked the question in 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. And the Greek is very simple. Why? Because not by faith, but by works. Okay? But by works. So they were going to uh, save themselves by the keeping of the law. Now, um, that is human nature. That is human nature. Our sinful human nature constantly tells us that we can do something to earn the favor of God. Our prideful human nature tells us that we have to be able to contribute something to our salvation. It is a constant battle with us, which is why we need to hear the reminder of the gospel constantly. Constantly. We need to be reminded that it is God's action in our behalf. And that is the dangerous thing. People come up to pastors and say, oh, 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 Pat, well, pastor, I just wish uh, uh, your sermons would tell me more how to live and do what God wants me to do. And I always want to say, oh, you want to go to hell? 
Because if I preach that all the time, what are you going to begin to believe? If I do this, if I do what pastor says, and you hear that over and over and over again, you're going to begin to think, I can be a part of my own salvation. It's just the opposite. What we need to hear is, it's not us. It's God doing this. Okay? And it's not that we don't want to know what God wants us to do, but that follows knowing what he's done for us. How-to sermons are just fine at times. A sermon on how to pray. Okay? But how-to sermons every week will develop in the mindset of the hearers, we've got to do this. It's part of our salvation. And that is what we want to avoid. Because Paul goes on and said, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. All right, that's from Psalm 118. There's a positive and there's a negative in this verse. And it's all surrounding Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to those who believe they can save themselves. By the law. They reject Christ. They stumble over him. A rock of offense. Okay? It's offensive to say to sinful human beings, you can't do anything to save yourself. They don't like that. We don't like to hear we can do nothing. Jesus Christ is the rock of offense because if you're going to try to do it yourself, you're going to stumble over him, and it's a fatal stumble. That's the negative. The positive is if you believe in him, you will not be put to shame, which means you're going to be blessed you're going to receive eternal life. You're going to receive the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. So Jesus Christ is either a rock or of offense or the gift of God. There is no third alternative. We've talked about that. Christ is a rock of offense, a stumbling block, or he is eternal life. Now, 
Then we get into chapter 10. And he starts out just like he did in chapter 9. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Okay? In chapter 9, he said, I'm willing to be accursed that they might be saved. Now he's saying his heart's desire, what's pleasing to him, what would be pleasing to him the most, and what he prays for is that God is going to save the Jews. God is going to save the Jews. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, you can have a zeal for a lot of things, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad. Do you have a zeal to make money? <laughs> Most people do. That can be good or bad. It can lead you where you don't want to go. We can have a zeal for things that's misguided. That is what Paul is saying here about the Jews. They do have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have been misled into thinking they can save themselves by keeping the law. Now, let me say this. The law is very clear. If you keep it, every part of it, every commandment, if you are perfect, you get eternal life. If you do it. Is there anybody here still there? You're still working on it. Okay. Is there anybody that's still perfect? Well, they didn't have knowledge. God did not give the law to save them. The Old Testament is not based on the law saving the people of Israel. And I've said this many times, and I'm going to say it again. By the time God gave the Jews the law, he'd already saved them. He'd already brought them out of Egypt. They've already crossed the Red Sea. He's proclaimed, you're my people. Then, he says to them, now as my people, here's how I would have you live. And he gives them the commandments. But he never gave them the commandments to keep in order to save them. He didn't give the commandments first and say, keep these and I'll save you. It was just the opposite. But they believed they could keep the law. And so what this led to was a document or, or a body of, of rules called the Talmud. How many of you ever heard that? It's a lot of rules 
of how to keep the law. And they totally miss the mark because there's nothing in them about faith. So they were big on trying to keep the Sabbath. But it didn't talk about that the Sabbath was a day of rest, a day to think of the things of God, a day of faith, a day of exercise of faith. The Talmud says, the way you keep the Sabbath is you can't walk more than 34 steps on the Sabbath. They were rules. And they were rules you could keep. But Jesus blew those completely out of the water in the Sermon on the Mount. Because they externalize things. Thou shalt not kill. Well, I hadn't murdered anybody. I'm good. Jesus says, I tell you, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I haven't done that. I tell you that anyone that looks upon a woman lustfully has committed adultery in the heart. He internalized the law, and we can't keep it if it's internalized. We can make all kinds of rules about externals and how to do it. Okay, they went down the road that we're going to keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees actually believed if they could get everyone in Israel to keep the Sabbath for one day, the Messiah would come. That's why they got so upset when people broke the Sabbath. Steve. What? Who led them astray? It was their own sinful minds. It was their own interpretation, wrongful interpretation of the Scriptures. And it just got worse and worse. And as it says here, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Not according to what He's told them. You can take any part of Scripture, folks, and twist it around for it to say what you want it to say. You take it out of context. If you cherry pick a verse here and a verse there, it can be done. And if you go down the wrong path long enough, you've got a problem. So he picks up on this in verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Okay. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is His gift to us of Jesus Christ who will do His saving work and His saving work will be declared ours through faith 
we are declared right with God. Righteousness, the righteousness of God. They tried to establish their own righteousness by doing what they declared would make them righteous in the sight of God. Luther said, there is nothing that you can say to make God any madder than to say, I can save myself. Because what you're saying is, I don't need you, God. I don't need you. I'll save myself. They sought to establish their own righteousness. They would make themselves, they would make themselves right with God. And that was out of ignorance. And therefore, you did, they did not submit to God's righteousness. God gave them righteousness, and they said, we don't want it. We want our righteousness. That's what happened. Remember, he's still trying to talk about, has the word of God failed? Just keep that in mind as we go through. So verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is not, does not terminate the law. It's not as if, as if the law no longer applies. Okay? What it's saying here is Christ is the fulfillment of the law to everyone who believes. In other words, to those that believe in Christ, the law can no longer condemn them because Christ has fulfilled the law. This is his active obedience. He perfectly fulfilled the law and that is counted as ours. When through faith in Christ, his keeping of the law is accounted to us, the law has ended for us. But if you don't believe, you're still under the law. You're still under the law. So, Now Paul wants to emphasize, beginning in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does them shall live by them. Commandments is, by the way, is uh, an English edition. It actually says the person who does them shall live by them but it's focusing on the law. Okay. If you want to save yourself by the law, then you have to live with it. 
And once you've made a mistake, the option of saving yourself by the law is no longer attainable. But if you want to do it, then you're going to be condemned by the law when you don't fulfill it. When you don't fulfill it. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. This is actually a quote, a variation on a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30. But Paul changes some things here. So if you have a righteousness based on faith, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? The assumption is, who's going to heaven by works? But the implication is, if you know it's salvation by faith, you know Christ has to come down. We can't force Christ to come down. He did come down, and we're blessed. We're blessed. In other words, the only way to ascend into heaven is that Christ came down from heaven for us. And he did that on his own. He didn't do it because of us. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is not talking about the descent into hell. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Who will descend into the abyss? The only one that can spare us from that is Christ, who was raised up from the dead. In other words, wrong questions to ask. Wrong questions to ask. But here's the emphasis. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. The word of God comes to you. The word of God comes to you. You don't come to God. You do not come to God. You do not seek Him. He seeks you. And it's a word of faith that is preached. Not of works. Not of works. And then... Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we need to talk about the word confess. It's a very interesting word. 
because the actual meaning of confess is repeat what you have heard. Repeat what you have heard. So, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that's not you doing it. That's not something you do to earn salvation. You are repeating what you have heard, what has been told to you. The Word of God came to you first. And when you confess Jesus is Lord, you're repeating back what He told you to begin with. It also has that same meaning when we confess our sins. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Would we ever know the truth about ourselves unless God told us? Would we ever admit we were sinful unless God told us we were sinners? The word confess applies because we are saying in our confession, you're right, God, I am a sinner. You told me so. That's the truth. Confession is repeating back to God what he's already told us in his word. That's what confession means. You confess the Nicene Creed. Where did we get that from the word of God? We heard it before. It's not new. When Christians confess, they are saying back to God what God has spoken to us. What God has spoken to us by His grace to save us. So, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's talk about the concept Jesus is Lord. Many really messed that up. They say, well, that's, that's confessing that Jesus is sovereign and that uh, they go on and on. Jesus is Lord is very important because in the Old Testament, the word for Yahweh, which is the God of relationship who loves us and saves us, is translated in English L-O-R-D, but the O-R-D are also capital. The confession that Jesus is Lord is us confessing this is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is Yahweh. Come to save us.
Now, we see that in some of his actions in, um, in his ministry. So, for instance, when he walks on the water, he is showing himself powerful over all nature, over wind and wave, to identify himself as the God of the Old Testament who parted the Red Sea. When he fed 5,000 in the wilderness, 5,000 men, probably thousands more with women and children, out in the wilderness where there was no food, what is that reminding us of? He's the same God that fed the children of Israel with man in the wilderness. The confession Jesus is Lord is saying, this is the God of the Old Testament. Now, that's really a problem for a Jew. Really a problem. Because they wouldn't go for that at all. Yes, Steve. Paul, uh, they all did having to preach the gospel to Jews. It was easier to preach it to Gentiles. That it was a problem because the Jewish mindset would not acknowledge that Jesus Christ was Yahweh. They called it blasphemy. They called it blasphemy. So it was very difficult for them uh, to grasp the gospel. A rock of offense, stumbling stone. So, if you confess Jesus is Lord, the same God as was in the Old Testament, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, notice it does not say you believe in your heart that he was crucified and rose from the dead. We have to remember that the defining fact of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Any dummy could get crucified in the Roman times. If he had been crucified and did not rise from the dead, he's not our Savior. The resurrection is the critical point. And he did lots of things when he was crucified, but it was all leading up to the fact that God raised him from the dead. So Paul is speaking that. Confess in your heart and believe God raised him from the dead. If it just said believe that God had him crucified and that was it, that's not the defining factor. The resurrection is. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Okay? Will not be put to shame. So here's the point. Twelve. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord 
is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. How many times has Paul said now, there's no distinction? Started all the way back in 116. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. Then in chapter 3, he says, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And now here he says, there is no distinction. In other words, if a Jew believes in Jesus Christ, they have eternal life. If a Gentile believes in Jesus Christ, they will have eternal life. There's no distinction. One is not better than the other. One has not attained more than the other. One has not done more than the other. One has not come closer to salvation than the other. There is no distinction. Just like there is no distinction in this room, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what your background, who you were born to, who your ancestors are, where you grew up, how good you think you are, it's all because there is no distinction. All who believe in Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing on his riches on all who call upon him. He is the same Lord for the Jews and the same Lord for the Gentiles. It's not different. That's why you can't say the Jews believe in the same God as we do because they don't. They don't believe Jesus Christ is God. They don't believe it. They don't believe in the triune God. The same Lord is Lord of all. Yes, it's true, but only some confess him. Only some confess him. Because the word of God is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, because God came to you. He's going to pour out his riches on all who call upon him. Does that mean it's up to us to call on him? No. Because who called us first? We confess it. Luther writes of it. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps me in the one true faith. All the way back in Romans, it talked about God calling us first. How does he call us? He calls us in his word to be his own. 
to believe in his Son. So, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's because the Lord called them first. Because if he hadn't called them first, they wouldn't be calling on him. The point of this section is to Paul's proclamation that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for every human being on this earth, Jew and Gentile. And it's through the word. It's through God's word that comes to us and works faith in us so that we receive a righteousness by faith, the righteousness from God provided for us in Jesus Christ. And that is for every single person that believes without distinction. It's for all. And there is nobody that's too sinful. Okay? Paul. I'd say yes, because um, was he the same God? Was he the same God? Was he the God who was saying, save yourself by works? Well, um, I know it is. I didn't make it lightly. But the fact is, the Jewish God is not triune, is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and did not send his Son to be the Messiah. How is that the same God that we pray to? I believe that. Um, a fulfilled Jew does proclaim that you have indeed, um, you believe in God, and you have now come to believe he is triune and did send his son as a savior. Is that the same God or is that a different God? Are they acknowledging the Father is the same one they worshipped or is it different? It's a tough question. It's a tough question. But what do you say to the Jew who all their life prays to the God they know and denies Jesus Christ? Is that the same God? Is that the same God? I don't think they were ever believing in the wrong God at that point. But when Jesus Christ came and they rejected him, Jesus made it very clear, you reject him, who do you reject? The one who sent me. The one who sent me. 
Well, I, there are a lot of them walking around. There are a lot of people walking around that pray to God. They don't know Jesus Christ. Now I'll ask you a tough one. Does God hear their prayers? According to Scripture, it says no. They pray to him, but he does not hear their prayers. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, the remnant did, and, and uh, you know, and God saved the remnant. And remnant theology is throughout Scripture. What we're going to get to in chapter 11 is the remnant are both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. Okay? Both Jews and Gentiles that believe in Jesus Christ. So, that's the remnant. Okay? Yeah. No. Never. But, but my point is, if they're misguided, what has misguided them? Sin. So is the God that they're misguided about not God at all? Well, he may be. He may be. But that doesn't mean that their concept of God is not God. Is not God. No, it's not his fault. <laughs> he is not changing. And he can be patient with them. But on the last day, when they've been praying to this misguided God for their whole life, no, I'm not saying he isn't God. I'm just saying, I think people in their sinful nature many times make up God the way they want him to be. And that's not the real God. Well, no. Uh, the God of the Jews is Jehovah Yahweh. But I'm not sure that the God of the Jews is the God they're really praying to. Because of their ignorance and misguided ways. It's not the true Yahweh Jehovah. Yes. Could it be what? Boy, I don't know if I want to go that far. I've heard preachers say that any prayer that goes is directed to God and is not prayed in Jesus' name goes to Satan. But I haven't ever said that, and I don't know. Okay? Yeah, parts of it. But that's not the same God. There's no way Muhammad 
is worshiping the true God. That's my point. And usually it's of our own human sinful mind making. Creatures cannot create their own God. He's above us. He's above us. That's true. The one they wanted to believe in. In other words, they created a theology that they followed and decided God should match their theology. <laughs> well, you better. And what I meant is, God, in the Old Testament, they definitely worship Yahweh Jehovah. The problem is when they rejected Jesus Christ. Well, that's the way it, that's fun. I, I enjoy a good discussion. Yes. They don't read the scriptures. They don't know how. And they're not allowed. Right. But then, uh, appropriate that into Christendom. Um, there have been, I won't name names, denominations that have pretty much kept the scriptures out of the hands of the people. You can figure that out yourself. Okay. Are you sure? And that is correct. And that's the way, that's not the way evangelism is supposed to work. We do not go forth evangelistically and say, believe the Bible. We go forth and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Once you believe in Christ and have faith in Christ, you can be taught the other articles of faith. Okay? The other articles of faith. You don't start with, you're worshiping the wrong God. You start with, here is what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's where evangelism starts. This message we talked about this morning is where evangelism starts, not with all the doctrines and articles of faith. Believe these. That's why, and I know you're good Lutherans, well, 
There is forgiveness, Paul. Um, in Lutheran theology, we have problems with this verse out of a hymn. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We're wrong. We believed it because that message came to us and we didn't even know it was from the Bible. We didn't even know it was from the Bible. Ah, yep. So much for today. And what we will do is we will finish chapter 10 next week, okay? So have a great week. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.